0: Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Nearing the end of the year, many of us, myself included, um, do something called making resolutions making resolutions. Now, the origins of resolutions, you know, people say, oh, it's it's maybe Christian or unchristian, but there is something good and holy and refining about deciding in a new year to recommit yourself to faithfulness to God. And so what we're going to do today is talk about what it means to make a gospel-centered, Christ-influenced and informed resolution for the new year. My hope is if you didn't decide to make a resolution this year, that you would. That's one of my goals this morning is that you would make a resolution for the next year, for maybe for you, for your family, for your business, for your your college career, for your athletics, wherever you are in life, there's a decision that I believe that God's going to call you to, to greater faithfulness to him. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. We're going to circle back to that. The Babylonians, about 4,000 years ago, these were the first people to be recorded as making a celebration for the new year. So when the new year came, their, their uni, new year actually started around March. Um, so the, around March, when was the, the calendar of the new year at the time, the Babylonians would have this great feast, and they would recommit themselves to the king. They would promise to pay debts. They would return any items that were borrowed. Some of you should practice that. Amen. Um, you've had that thing long enough. Um, So the Babylonians were the first people recorded to actually make this a big thing. Now, it was mostly to pagan gods for pagan purposes, but that is kind of where the genesis, at least of recorded history, of where New Year's resolutions come from. And then even in ancient Rome, Julius Caesar, who was a great reformer and, well, he was a reformer, um, changed a lot of things. One of the things that he changed was the beginning of the new year to be the first of January. And the reason they changed it to the 1st of January was the, the, the god Janus, which is kind of this two faced god um, who looked both forward and backward. And so the, the Romans actually celebrated New Year in a different way, looking backwards in the, in the old year, but also looking forward. And then what they would do is they would make offerings and promises of good conduct. And they said, okay, I'm going to promise to be good this year. And if I'm good, the gods will bless me. Now, if we're honest, that's not too far off from our own theology. We make promises to God that we'll do better this year, and hopefully God will actually like us in 2019 if we're good enough. And then around the 1740s, 1750s, a man by the name of John Wesley started something called the Covenant Renewal Service. It's kind of where we get the ideas of watch night services from. So on the, on the New Year's Eve, they would gather inside churches, and John Wesley, through the Methodists, and begin to spread to other denominations, would, would recommit themselves to God's covenant would recommit themselves to being faithful this year, to walk in holiness and faithfulness. And so the new covenant service is actually where we get our watch night service because it was in a watch night type service where in the predominantly African-American church, where we've kind of still kept the name watch night instead of covenant renewal service because on December 31st of 1862, the Emancipation Proclamation was supposed to take into effect on the next day. And so as African-Americans, and at that point, slaves in the South gathered, they were awaiting the announcement of the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln, which is going to take effect on January 1st. And so even today, predominantly African-American churches, historic black churches, will gather on New Year's Eve for a watch night service, combining both Wesley's ideas of recommitting themselves to faithfulness, but also the lived experience of African-Americans in the South of looking forward to freedom and celebrating freedom in this life, but looking forward to true freedom in the life to come. So for thousands of years, Christians across the world, un-Christians and, and pagans and heathens across the world, have been gathering on New Year's Eve to make promises about the year to come, to make promises about the year to come. Even the sisters say right now in America, about 45% of the American population makes New Year's resolutions, about 45%. Now, if you had to guess, how many, how many what percentage of people actually follow through through New Year's resolutions? If you had to guess, 3%. <laughs> Don't tell on yourself now. (laughs) So the average is a little bit higher than that. It's about 8%. About 8% of people who make a New Year's resolution actually follow through with it for 12 months. About 8%. So those odds aren't great, if we're honest. So why would I recommend you to do something that the odds are stacked against you? This is why. I believe most New Year's resolutions are focused on self and not on our Savior. The motivation is really self-improvement, not a walk with God that is deeper, more profound. Because here's the truth of Scripture that I'm going to unpack, and hopefully the case that I will make this morning, is if you try to do things your way, you are left with your power. But if you do things God's way, you get access to God's power. So a couple points for you if you're note takers. The first point is God wins, join his team. God wins join his team. When you're thinking about what resolutions to make, God wins, so join his team. Proverbs 19:21. We're going to be going back and forth in scripture so they're going to be on the screen for your convenience. Proverbs 19:21 says, "Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail." Now, let's be honest. How many people in here are planners? You have a checklist, you got a you got a, you got a, a Gantt charts going on, you got a workflow planned out. Now, here's the funny thing about planners. How many people who are planners are great at following through on their plans? Gorgeous, is true. <laughs> One or two, right? Amen. So typically, you have the, the executioner, people who are actually the doers. Typically, doers are not planners, and typically, planners are not doers. Isn't that funny? So we all have this, this part of us that says, man, I got a great idea for next year. I'm going I'm to read through the whole Bible. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to get my finances in order. And they're like, we're sitting down writing everything down. But there's something about actually doing that plan that we tend to stumble upon. We tend to stumble and fall. This is a great reminder that we have lots of plans, y'all. But the Lord's decree, the Lord's plans will prevail. So here's, here's, here's a New Year's resolution that you're guaranteed to keep. God's will for your life. If your New Year's resolution lines up with what God wants from you and what God wants to do through you, guess what? Your odds went to 100%. Why? Because God never fails. 2 Peter 1.3, let me prove it to you in Scripture, says, his divine power, talking about God, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, that's one of those verses that you may have heard in, in, in passing before, but think about the implications. If this verse was true, let's, let's just hypothetical situation. If the Bible is entirely true, and this verse is included, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. What does that verse mean? That verse means you have everything you need right now to do what God wants you to do. The reason your resolutions from 2018 didn't happen wasn't because you're deficient in some way. Is it because you're broken in some way? It's just your plans didn't line up with God's power. And you ran out of strength. You ran out of gas before it was in. But if you follow God and do his way, then his divine power has given us everything we need, what, for life and godliness. Make godliness your goal for the new year and you will win. Make godliness your goal for 2019. Make holiness your goal for 2019 and you will win now. Some of you are thinking, man, I, that was my goal 2018. I'm trying to walk in holiness. I'm trying to, to kill this enemy. I'm trying to stop this habit. I'm trying to walk in this newness of life, but I found that I'm struggling in this. My second point you have to both take off and put on. You have to both take off and put on. Ephesians chapter 4, 21 through 24. Some of you may remember this passage when we walked through the book of Ephesians. Says, assuming you have heard about him, Jesus, and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. This is a big one, y'all. The idea of taking off and putting on is where most Christians, myself included, stumble and fumble the ball. Because what we try to do is we try to add right living to our equation and to our calendar without taking away the sin that so easily ensnares us and trips us up. Let me give you an example. So I tend to like working out. I enjoy the activity of working out. What I don't like is eating right. That's why no one knows I work out. Right? Because if you work out and don't eat right, you're working against yourself. Are you not? I want to buy a house. I want to buy a new car, but I also have this Amazon list that is 30 items long that I just, I just got to have. You see what I'm saying? You can't just start doing good. There is a call to take off the old self and to stop doing that which is getting in the way. The number one, the, let, me, let me help you all out. We have some Bible reading plans in the back. It's a five-day chronological plan. Takes you through the entire Bible in order of the events that happen. And it's only five days a week. Gives you two days to catch up, even if you miss the day. They're printed on the back of the table. You can grab it on your way out. Please do. Let me give you the secret to staying on your Bible reading, especially for those who read in the mornings. Go to bed earlier. That's it. Don't pray. Don't fast. Just go to bed earlier. The secret to reading every morning is going to bed earlier. My wife and I were talking last night about some of my resolutions. One of my personal resolutions last year, uh, this year, going forward, is to sleep with my phone plugged in across the room from me. To not sleep with my phone next to me. Why? Because I'll stay up reading. There's always something interesting. Somebody's saying something. I, like, and the next thing you know, it's two o'clock in the morning, and my alarm set for five and six. Now, what are the odds that I'm going to be wide awake, ready to hear from the Spirit of the Lord through the Word of God when I've had three hours of sleep? It could happen. But that's not how you see progress is by rolling the dice and seeing what could happen. What you, you see progress by daily faithful consistency. And so if you want to go forward, sometimes you've got to take a, take a look backwards and say, okay, what is getting in the way? Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the sin that so easily ensnares us. Take stock of the things that have gotten in the way of your walk with God. Could be some movies that you're watching. Could be some music that you're listening to. Could be some TV shows that you have binge on. Could be anything, anything that gets in the way of God isn't worth it. Anything that gets in the way of God. It could be, on its own, a good thing. But if if it's getting in the way of your relationship with God, take it off. Take it off. There's a a story that I always remember. It's about a a Christian missionary that went to this village. um, And he met with the tribal chief and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And the chief accepted Christ into his heart. And the missionary said, hey, I'm going to come back in a year, and I'm going to check on and see how things are going. So a year later, the Christian missionary comes back, and he meets the chief, and he says, hey, man, you, got, you, know, we, you walk, started walking with God a year ago. It's been 12 months. How, how's your walk with God been doing? And the chief said, well, it feels like there's two dogs fighting within me. One dog wants to do the right thing and, and wants to do righteousness. Another dog wants to do sin and selfish. And I feel like two, these two dogs are at war. So the missionary was like, well, which, which dog wins? And he says, well, the one I feed the most wins. And that is true of your soul, Saints. There is two parts of you that are at war with one another. One is the flesh, one is the spirit. If you are a believer, you have the spirit of God living within you right now, but your flesh is still on your body. Those desires didn't all go away, those habits and and tendencies that you had didn't all disappear, and you're going to be at war with that. And what determines who wins that war is who gets fed the most. Are you in your word more than you're watching Netflix? Are you praying more than gossiping and worrying and complaining? Because if not, you will lose this battle every time. You won't lose the war. You will still see God in the end if you're in Jesus Christ. But that holiness that you're desiring, that growth and maturity that you're desiring, will always be one step away if we don't kill those things within us. Take off that old man and start living in the new. So before you decide to make a list of things that you're going to start doing Right next to those things that you're going to say I'm going to in 2019 I'm going to start doing this. Next to that, put what are you going to stop doing to make that happen? What are you going to stop doing? How can I take off the old man so that I can walk in the new man? Last one. Not my will, Father. Not my will. Luke chapter 22 verse 42. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane praying. This is right before he is to be crucified for my sins and your sins and the sins of all those who would put their trust in him. And Jesus was something that we can't understand. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. How do I know that to be true? Because if he was just a man, then his death on a cross wouldn't have meant anything. Because the blood of a man wasn't good enough. That's why Jesus had to come. But yet, if he was just God and wasn't fully man, he wouldn't have died at all. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see this beautiful portrait of both his divine nature and his human nature in one passionate moment of prayer to God the Father. And Jesus, knowing what's about to come, because he is God, because he was existent in eternity past, he knows what the wrath of the Father feels like, and he's about to drink from that cup. He feels the terror that we will never know because he actually knows what it's like to be a receiving end of God's wrath because he's seen it. Trembling in a moment of humanity, he says, Father, in verse 42, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And once again, Jesus is our perfect example here. Jesus facing the terrible wrath of God so he can be the substitute for our sins. He says, take this cup away from me, God. If there's another way, God, if there's another way, Let me see it. But in the same breath, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Now think about the weight of those words of Jesus. Philippians and Colossians and other passages of Scripture talk about how big of a deal Jesus is. All of creation was created by Jesus for Jesus. He is the climax of all history. His salvation and what he accomplished on the cross reached backwards into time and forwards into time. He is the center of our lives. He is, the, he is whom the whole Bible points to. He is Jesus, and yet him, God in flesh, says, Not my will, but yours be done. Luke nine twenty echoes this. Jesus talking, says, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow him, and follow me. Let me say this to you, church. The biggest moment of 2019 is going to come as a result of the small choices that you make every day. The biggest moment of 2000... How do I know that? Because the the biggest moment of 2020, the biggest moment of 2021, the biggest moment in your life is going to come as a result of the small choices that you make every single day. Pick up your cross daily, Luke says, and follow me. You see, Jesus died once for the sins of all mankind. He is done. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. His work is finished. But he left us his church, and for us to follow in his footsteps, we have to die daily. Every day, we have got to decide between following Jesus or following the passions and desires of our flesh. Letting him use our lives for his glory or letting me use my life for my glory. To build his kingdom or to build my kingdom. Not my will says, God, I'm going to choose you every time. I'm going to choose you every day. What does it mean to be a Christian? What it means to be a Christian is a big statement, and it's a big answer. But a simple way to say it is it means saying yes to Jesus, not just once, but every single day. I'm glad that you walked up to an altar. I'm glad that you prayed a prayer. I'm glad that whatever happened in that moment where you turned from death to life, I'm glad that that happened, but you've got to do it every day. Every day you've got to choose Jesus. Some of, the, some of you may be in 2019 desiring a, a deeper prayer life. It's a common request. I I'm want I'm a deeper prayer life. Honestly, you're not going to achieve a deeper prayer life by having some grand vision, most likely. It could happen. You're not going to achieve a deeper prayer life by having a moment of prayer that lasts for 10 hours one day, and then you're good. Honestly, you want to achieve a deeper prayer life, set a timer on your phone and pray for 15 minutes every single day. That's it. Pray for 15 minutes. Time yourself. Time yourself. And I promise you, the first several days, the first several weeks, your mind is going to wander. You're going to run out of stuff to say. You're going to feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel like anything is happening. But choosing to pray to Jesus, choosing to humble yourself before God every single day, and one day you'll start to meet God. One day and you'll start to meet God. And all of a sudden, you'll, you'll look forward to those 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, one day you'll wake up and 15 minutes won't be enough. And you have more to share with God. And you've more that you want to receive from God. And all of a sudden, you don't realize it, but one day you became a person who loves and is fueled by prayer. But that didn't come from just one day. That came from taking up your cross daily and saying, okay, I'm going to be daily faithful and be daily committed. I'm going to encourage the church, and I'm going to encourage you, any Christian or any unbeliever, to read through the entire Bible, to see the entire story of God's counsel. That is a big task. That is a hard thing to do. You're going to get to passages of Scripture that you don't understand. You're going to read things in God's Word that seems wrong even. That seems like I don't understand what's happening. I don't know what it says name. And you're going to feel confused. But understanding isn't going to come from spending 10 hours one day a week in the Word of God. It's going to come from spending 10 minutes every single day in the Word of God. Praying for understanding. Being faithful to take up your cross daily. Finances is typically one or two on the list, on the rank of uh, New Year's resolutions every year. It's either finances or weight, losing weight. Getting in shape and getting your finances ordered. One or two for like the last 15, 20 years. The number one thing that people want to do in the new year. Those are good goals, to be a good steward of God's resources and to be a good steward of the body that you've been given. But you want to get your finances in order? You don't play the lottery. You cut down on Starbucks. Right? Right? You cut down on the Amazon purchases. You cut down on the little purchases. I had a great, the best money management advice I've ever had is if you watch your pennies, your dollars will take care of themselves. That thing is solid. That that is truth right there. It's not the big purchases that get you. It's those little ones. Going to lunch here, going to lunch there, coffee here, coffee there. Oh, tip. Those things add up. Next thing you know, you spent $700 on a fast food chain. You're like, how did this happen? It happened little by little. So you want to get your finances in order? It's not going to take the big thing. It's going to take the small thing every day. like, you know what? I'm good, man. I'm going to bring my lunch from home today. You know what? I'm okay. I don't need a coffee. I'm good. Daily faithfulness is how maturity happens. If you want to start a business, graduate on time, become a better athlete, whatever, become a, a single person that's spiritually, emotionally, and financially ready for marriage. Whatever your goal is, it's going to be achieved by taking up your cross daily, that day-to-day Faithfulness. Small decisions made every day, y'all. And I want to end today where we started. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. Jesus, the center of history, the pre existent one, the I am that I am, he did not live for his own glory. In the moment of hard, stress facing the fear and the wrath of God. In that moment he said, "Not my will, but yours be done." Those words aren't just profound, they're a challenge because if Jesus says, "Not my will, but yours be done," then how dare we say anything different? How dare we try to build our kingdom when Jesus sought to build God's? How dare we try to build a life that is comfortable for us when Jesus lived a sacrificial life for all mankind who would put their trust in him. So whatever your resolutions are, church, whatever you commit yourself, have this verse at the center of your uh, your thoughts. Are these plans to build my kingdom or are they to build God's kingdom? Am I committing my life to myself or am I committing my life to God? Because at the end of the day, you try to build your kingdom, you will have to do it in your strength and you will be one of the 8%. I've been there every year. One of the 8% that doesn't, or one of the 92% that doesn't make it. But if you tap into God's will for your life and God's plans for your life, you have access to God's power for your life. So for resolutions, start with prayer. God, what do you want for me in 2019? God, what do you want for my family in 2019? God, what do you want for my money, my resources, my time, my education, my job? What do you want my entire life, God, is yours? How would you use it, God? And then you do that, and then you walk in God's power. You take a brother or sister along with you, and you form an accountability system where you say, hey, man, this is where I feel like God is calling me to. Can you you hold me accountable? Can you ask me about it every once in a while? Can we do this thing together? Because Christianity is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in community. And so even these resolutions aren't meant to be done in your own power and your own strength. Even it's not meant to be done between you and God. It's meant to be done between you, God, and his people. Church, I want to see us all grow. I look out every Sunday from this pulpit, and I see men, women, and children who have no idea how much God wants to do and use them. You see, you focus on your inadequacies, you focus on your failures, you focus on how much you don't know. And when I see you, I see all the things that God has already done in you all the power and the purpose that God has already put in you. And God, we could change this city if the people in this room right now just surrendered and say, okay, God, use me. Maybe I'm not gifted in that way, but God, use what I have. Maybe I don't have as much of this as that person, but God, what I have, you can have. Then all of a sudden, we see that the story of the five fish and the two loaves wasn't about Jesus doing a Sunday dinner. It was about how God works. He takes what people give Him and he multiplies it for the purposes of his kingdom. And so you have, may have made resolutions years and years before, and you feel like, man, I've, I don't even, I'm not even looking forward to doing that again because I don't feel like I ever make progress. Commit your ways to the Lord, and he will see you through. Because it's not your will that's at stake. It's God's glory and God's will that's at work. Will you commit to yourselves to the Lord in 2019, church? Will you commit to greater levels of faithfulness in 2019? Will you commit to taking off some of the old man and walking in the newness of life that Christ has given you? I hope we can do it together. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.